Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon from First Reformed Church in Edgerton, Minnesota. Each week we dig into God's Word, trusting that the Holy Spirit will continue the good work of sanctification in us. To be the people of God. Without the resurrection, there's not only no hope of eternal life, but there's no church. We are not the people of God and the gathered together people of God without the truth of the resurrection. If Jesus had gone to the cross but stayed in the tomb, he would have been no different than the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of others who were executed at the hands of the Roman government. There'd be no reason to gather today if he had stayed in the tomb. What took place on Good Friday, as a matter of fact, would not have made any difference at all. It would have been nothing. In fact, we wouldn't even know who Jesus of Nazareth is. We would have no idea who this man is. Why would we care who a rabbi was teaching in the backwater regions of Palestine if he had simply been someone who had been executed by the Romans and stayed in the grave. What difference would any of it make at all? Do you know the name of anyone who was crucified by the Romans other than Jesus? I'll wait. Your hand will get dry, but I'll wait. We don't know the name of anyone else. It is the resurrection And the truth of the resurrection that makes us not only the people of God, but it's the reason the name of Jesus is famous. It's the reason we know who he is. And it's the reason that the church has been celebrating this event, the resurrection, not every Easter, but every week on the Lord's Day. It's the reason we've been celebrating the resurrection for nearly two millennia. Because it's important Because it's vital that Jesus came up from the grave. He is different. He is distinct. By his resurrection, he shows that he is our Savior. He shows that he is God. Every Lord's Day that we gather, we remember this truth. We remember that Jesus not only took on the wrath of God for our sin... But we also remember that he was victorious over the grave, that he is the one who has victory, that he defeated death. So as we gather this morning, we consider this truth, and we're going to take a look at the words of the Apostle Paul from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And here we not only read about the importance of this truth, but we see that this is what was pointed to in the Old Testament. This was the plan all along. This is what God was doing. This is what the people were waiting for. All the way back in Genesis 3, when the promise was made that the Messiah would come and crush the head of the serpent, this is what Scripture was pointing to, the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is what the people of God had been waiting for, for generation upon generation, century upon century, millennia upon millennia. So as we drop into this passage, we're going to see just how important it is here as we look at these first couple verses. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul has been addressing a whole host of issues. There have been moral issues in the church that 
Paul has touched on. We've been reading 1 Corinthians for our public reading of Scripture while we were in the Ten Commandments the last several weeks. And we can see those issues in just the first six or seven chapters that we've read for our, for our public reading of Scripture. There is all kinds of stuff going on in this church. And not only is there a whole bunch of stuff going on there in the church, but there's more than just moral issues. There are issues with their worship as well. But as this letter closes up, Paul wants to make sure that they absolutely understand the primacy, the importance of the resurrection of Jesus. He wants to remind them of this. Notice, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. This is what the gospel is. So this should be of great importance to not only the people reading this letter in the first century, but it should be great importance to us. Because as we know, the word gospel means good news. And we live in a world filled with bad news. It's what we expect. We aren't the only people who look around and, and we expect bad things to happen. We don't turn on the news and expect it to be filled with good stuff, do we? In fact, this past Thursday morning, as the ladies had Angela Kennecke, Angela Kennecke, who used to work for Kello News, they were, she was speaking and telling about the story of her daughter dying of a drug overdose. She made a statement that stuck out to me that is exactly the point I'm driving home. She said, working on the news, you know it's a bad thing to be on the news. I mean, she sat at that desk. She did reports for decades. If anybody understands it, understands it's, it's this woman who reported the news all the time and then she was a part of the news the death of her daughter was on the news. We expect bad news, and, and it's what we turn it on for. Uh, years ago, the, the church secretary I worked with in Sandusky, she and I used to always say, you know what? We should start a news channel that does nothing but report good news because the regular news is so depressing. That right there, we thought, sounded like a million-dollar idea, Right? But I'm guessing Mark Grone and Kathy Runyon aren't the only people who ever came up with that idea. I'm guessing people who have influence and power in media have had this idea as well that we should start a news channel that has nothing but good news. But those people in those positions of power those and the influence to get it done, they've never started it, have they? Why? Because it isn't a moneymaker. If it would make money, they'd do it in a second. The reason is bad news sells because we expect it and we know that there's going to be more bad news in the world than there is good news. But here, as we come to this chapter, we see this word gospel and we know that it means good news. And this is the news that was proclaimed to the people in Corinth. And this is more than just good news about somebody having success. Like, hey, this is a good human interest story. There's good news to tell you in the midst of bad. That's, it's more than that. The Apostle Paul tells us that this is how they were saved. It's the news that they received. It's the good news in which they stand. And if they're being saved, then it is truly good news, isn't it? Like I said, we assume that the news is going to be bad because we know that in a post-fall world, death will reign. We know that. Even if something good happens to us tomorrow, 
The chokehold that the curse has on humanity guarantees that bad news is coming. It guarantees that we will die. We have been trained by the curse to expect bad news. And this is why we need to be saved. We understand that we need a great rescue from death. We need to be saved from this state of affairs that we are mired in. And here Paul lets us know that the rescue that we need comes from this good news, this gospel that he has proclaimed. And so he lets them and us know the exact message that this gospel is in verses three through eight. And notice what he says here, that he delivered this as of first importance. This is at the crux of what the gospel is. This is the importance of their understanding of how they are saved. This is primary. And so what is this good news that they are to see as primary? It's that Christ died for our sins. And notice that this flips the script, doesn't it? Stop and think about the level to which this changes the story. As I said, the curse and the fact that death enters the world through the sin of our first parents is bad news. But now Paul is letting us know that a death is good news. Think about how that flips the whole story. A death is good news. A death is good news. Why? Because this death was for our sins. And we get confirmation of this fact that this is the truth because it's what the scriptures had foretold. And we also see here that Jesus was buried and that he was raised also in accordance to the scriptures. This is what the scriptures had been pointing to all along. This is what matters. That promised seed of the woman has come. It is Jesus and he has crushed the head of the serpent in his victory over death. His death and resurrection is something that God has used. And it was the plan all along. We sometimes get in our heads that Jesus came to teach love and peace and harmony and that message was rejected and so he was crucified and God flipped it. God took the bad that happened from that. They rejected him and so God then used what happened. Like somehow the gospel is plan B. But it's not. According to this, in accordance with the scriptures, this happened. The gospel is plan A. It was the plan from the get-go that the Messiah would suffer. The gospel was plan A. The gospel is plan A. And there is no and was no plan B. This was what it was all along. And it's important that we understand something before we move on. When it says here, in accordance with the scriptures... Paul isn't pointing to some other New Testament books. When Paul is writing here, the New Testament canon is just starting to be formed. It's just starting to come together. When Paul says, according to the scripture, he's not talking about the gospel of John that we read. He's talking about the Old Testament. This was the prophetic word that Paul is talking about. Paul is letting us know, as his readers that this is what the law, the prophets, and as we read this morning, you said it with your own mouths, what the Psalms were pointing to as well. 
This was the plan of God. And so with this gospel message established here for us, he then gets into establishing the truth of it. And he wants us to know that this is not just a fairy tale or an allegorical story with a point. He wants us to know that it's more than this, that this event happened in real time, space, history. This resurrected one appeared to the apostle Peter, who at this point is still alive. And so if you want to go track down the apostle Peter, you can ask him about it here. That's, that's what Paul's saying. And then, oh, by the way, if that isn't enough for you, uh, he appeared to the twelve. A lot of those guys are still alive as well. You can track them down and ask them about it. He appeared to them. Oh, and by the way, this isn't just the closest followers of Jesus, these 12 guys who have witnessed this. There's 500 brothers that he appeared to. And notice what he says here. Most of whom are still alive. Those, those some have fallen asleep, but most of them are alive. He's talking about this event as if it's verifiable as if it really happened, because it did. That's his point, that this is a real victory over a real death. Paul wants us to understand this. He's saying that this is a truth that can be attested to. And then Paul brings himself into the mix. James saw him, and then Paul says that he was last of all appeared to. So Paul is being deliberate here to make sure we know that this is not just a story with an eternal truth that, that just happened in somebody's imagination. It's not just simply an ethereal thing that if you feel it and you believe it, it's so in your heart. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that this happened. And it turns out that this statement isn't just something that Paul was writing to the church in Corinth. We know from looking into the history of this statement, this isn't something that Paul wrote first. This is the earliest Christian creed. In fact, it was circulating in the church in less than five years after the resurrection and ascension. This statement. Now we get the idea that the church came up with the scriptures. The church came up with the ideas of the faith later on. Maybe even some people will say, which is absolutely absurd, historically speaking, it came up with hundreds of years later that the church came up with it to make Jesus God. But history tells us that this creed was being stated maybe within three years of the events it describes. Paul isn't writing this himself a decade or so later. He's repeating what was happening at the beginning of the church. This is the earliest Christian creed. These people who could go and verify with people who saw this happen were saying, I believe. That's what creed means. I believe. They were saying this early, early on in the church. It was being circulated immediately, right away. It was being confessed by the earliest of Christians that Jesus physically rose from the dead. And Paul wants us to understand the importance of this even more as we move to verses 12 through 19 today. And we can gather from what we read here that there were people out there who doubted the truth of the resurrection. They were saying that there was no resurrection of the dead. They were doubting it altogether, not just the resurrection of Jesus, but the idea that a human being could come back from the dead at all. 
And so Paul gives us the logical implications of what they're saying here. If there isn't a resurrection, then what is this event that I've been talking about that's been verified by so many people? What is that then? Why would Jesus be resurrected from the dead if resurrection isn't a thing, Paul says? There would be no point, but, but Jesus is risen, and so we need to deal with it. And Paul puts it all on the line here for us. Look, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, then Paul's pre- Paul says that his preaching is pointless. And not only is what Paul has been risking his life for, remember, he was risking his life for this message, not only is that pointless, but he also says to the people in Corinth and says to us, if this isn't true, your faith is pointless. Your faith is pointless if this isn't true. That's right. That is absolutely right. If what we celebrate today and actually celebrate each and every Lord's Day didn't happen, then you might as well go home and never come back here. There's no reason to be here. There is better stuff you can do with your time if this isn't true. Way better stuff to do. That's what Paul's saying here. If Jesus is just some guy who was executed by the Romans and he decomposed in a cave outside of Jerusalem someplace, go home, go home. Isn't worth it. The church is the biggest scam in history if what we celebrate today isn't true. Period. That's that's the truth. And the ramifications of that are even bigger than that. What does Paul say? He says that if this isn't true, then you're still in our sins that there's no forgiveness. The peace that you have, knowing that your rebellion against God, your sin is forgiven and that you have the hope of eternal life, that's gone if Jesus just decomposed in a cave outside of Jerusalem. It's gone. Your sins are still there. You're still in your sins, as Paul says. You no longer have peace with God. You still are in a position of needing to deserve wrath for your sin if Jesus is dead. Oh, and Paul also says that if the resurrection didn't happen, then those who've fallen asleep, those who have died, they've perished. There is no promise of eternal life. This isn't just about you. The hope you have for your loved ones, that's gone too if this isn't true. And if that isn't bad enough, then Paul lets us know that if we just have hope for Jesus in this life... We are of most people to be pitied. In other words, if we're just hoping that Jesus will help us to have our best life now, then what's the point? Because he's dead. If you don't have the sure promise of eternal life, what's the point? We should be felt sorry for if none of this is true. We're to be pitied. And you have to love the way that Paul has put everything on the line here for us. He has spelled it out. He's given us the ramifications of this. The resurrection is essential for the faith and for our hope of eternal life. But Paul just doesn't leave us hanging with that, does he? As we turn to verse 20, he lets us know that Christ has in fact been raised from the dead. He has in fact been raised. That's what he told us back at the beginning of the chapter with that creedal statement. And now he is reiterating and he's driving this truth home of what Jesus has done for his people. And notice what he does here. He connects it to the fall. He connects the good news to the bad news. The mess that we're in that leads us to death came from one man. 
And so one, through one man, the cure has come for what kills us all. Adam's rebellion brought death to every one of us. But Christ's obedience and victory over death brings about the resurrection of the dead. It is the source of our hope. In Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. This is good news. This is good news. It's worth broadcasting to the ends of the earth. You will not hear better news than that ever. The gospel is the best news there is. No matter what, it will be the best news. And there's even better news that we can add to it, a continuation of it. The truth is, is that the Holy Spirit has come to you. The Holy Spirit has given you faith to believe this good news. And so you have been, by faith, united to Christ. And so you have been raised to newness of life. Because you are united to him, you also will be resurrected The Holy Spirit has given you the gift of repentance and faith. God has quickened this faith in your heart that you might have the forgiveness of your sins. The war is over. You are at peace with God. You have salvation from the curse. And in a world that is filled with awful news all the time, this is the good news that we truly need to hear. And as we step out into the world in light of this good news in the coming week and every day of our lives going forward. May this be the message that fills us with hope. May this be the message that fills us with joy. Regardless of what we see in the world around us, we can rest in the good news of the gospel. The real event of the resurrection assures us that God is victorious over the curse. Whether it's the things in the world that cause us to lament the devastation that we see everywhere, or whether it's the devastation that the curse brings in our own lives, we know that Christ is victorious. He has victory. And we know that he is not just victorious in a sentimental or ethereal way. We know that he has actual victory over actual death. And there is even more good news for this Because Jesus was victorious in his body, because he overcame the physical, we also can have confidence that all of creation is going to be restored. When Adam and Eve fell, all of creation fell. But in Christ, because he has physical victory, we know that all of creation will be restored. The resurrection assures us of eternal life, not just for us personally, But for all of creation, because as creation groans, longing to be restored, we can look to the resurrection knowing that God has victory, that he has power over it all. And at the end of history, when Christ returns to deliver his kingdom to his father, all things will be set to right. All the bad news will be undone. There is victory over it all. And so may we sojourn in God's world, in light of this hope. May we know the truth of the resurrection because Christ is risen and he is victorious over sin, death, hell, and the devil. Christ has, in fact, been raised from the dead. So may you and I live in the joy of this hope. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, we thank you for the gift of your holy word.
that in it you come to us with the story of the gospel. That we can know that amidst all of the bad news in the world, there is gospel. There is good news. And we thank you that we know that this victory is over the physical. That we know that our bodies will be raised and all of creation will be restored. We pray that you would build us up in this hope each and every day as we remember the truth of Christ bearing the wrath of God for our sin and winning victory over death. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon. For more information about First Reformed Church, head to our Facebook page or website, edgertonfrc.org. 